This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, July 28th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, public health encourages masks in crowded spaces, Telluride brainstorms housing solutions, Lawson Hill considers tailing removal, and a mountain weather forecast. But first, there will be a planned power outage down Valley on Thursday, July 29th. The San Miguel Power Association will be upgrading line equipment for better fire safety. The outage is scheduled for 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention outlined a number of new recommendations this week to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. Included is a recommendation for all individuals, regardless of vaccination status, to wear a mask while indoors in areas with high COVID transmission. Based on CDC numbers, San Miguel County falls into that category. Um, at the county level, we don't plan to change our policies at this time, but it's really that recommendation of if you are in places that are crowded and you don't know vaccination statuses of people, wear a mask to protect yourself in your community. That's San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin speaking at a San Miguel Board of County Commissioners meeting on Wednesday. She adds the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment is also reviewing the recommendations and will likely come out with state guidance in the coming days. The recommendations come as cases in the county increase, in part due to the more contagious Delta variant of the virus. According to Franklin, over the past week, the county has confirmed 15 positive cases, with 12 of those local residents. From those 12, eight were in the Norwood region, four were in the East End. Out of those 12 cases as well, five cases were breakthroughs of fully vaccinated. She notes five breakthrough cases is on the higher side public health has seen of breakthrough cases over the past few months, and they occurred in individuals with all three types of vaccine. So it's not one particular vaccine Um, and it was across the county for those breakthroughs. To help limit the spread, Franklin reiterates the recommendation to mask up if indoors with people of unknown vaccination status. She also says more people should be getting tested. People have really mild symptoms, and they continue to go about their everyday life, whether it's a head cold or um, seemingly allergies, right? Um, And so if you do have symptoms, whether it's mild or severe, it's really... Stay home if you can. Definitely get tested because why not, right? It's free across the county. And if you do choose to go about in everyday life, how do you minimize the potential repercussions if you were to be sick and um, transmitting? And that would be wearing a mask, maybe uh, delaying your plans with one-on-one people or in large groups, um, and really just minimizing how many people you'll be in close contact with um, while you're feeling sick. And Franklin urges individuals to be fully transparent if they are contact traced. She says there has been a, quote, lack of willingness to disclose full details during the contact tracing process. It's understandable. It's invasive, right? We ask a lot of questions and then we're going to reach out to all of your friends and family you were in close contact with. 
Um, but the reason we're doing that is so we can stop the spread of this virus and not let it go through our community because it could get somebody severely ill and there are major negative repercussions. Testing is available in San Miguel County Monday through Friday at staggered times. To register for testing, go to sanmiguelcountyco.gov slash coronavirus. Businesses are also eligible to sign up for bulk at-home rapid testing for employees. Email publichealth at sanmiguelcountyco.gov to sign up. At a special meeting on Tuesday, the Telluride Housing Authority subcommittee held an open-ended brainstorming session to discuss short-term housing solutions the town could implement to address the regional housing crisis. Three ideas boiled to the top. First, increasing penalties for violating short-term rental permitting laws. Here's Town Council and THA subcommittee member Geneva Shawnette. If someone violates a fine once and then subsequently violates it again, they lose their short-term rental license, period. And the excuse of I didn't understand it is not a good enough excuse for violating it a second time to continue to own a permit. THA subcommittee members Mayor Delaney Young, Mayor Pro Tem Todd Brown, and Council Member Adrian Christie agree it would be good to further discuss the idea. Council Member Tom Watkinson is against it. I'd rather see fines go out that are higher that go towards affordable housing funds. I don't think that unit will turn into any kind of long-term housing because it took away the short-term rental option. Another idea is limiting the number of short-term rental permits individuals or companies can hold. Here's Mayor Young. There has been a movement of individuals or individual companies to complete speculation. They are buying units for the sole purpose of short-term renting them, and they have multiple units. All five members of town council present want to discuss that idea further. Finally, camping. The town's municipal code currently prohibits camping in public rights of way and only allows camping on private property without the owner charging for it. Christie says she wants to prioritize discussion around camping on public property, including the town park campground and the town-owned lot next to Clark's Market, since she says they don't know how many people could be served with camping on private property. Any camping solution, Young notes, wouldn't be for this season. It is basically August. This is not for summer. We have, that ship has sailed. But if we start talking about it now, we might be able to do something for winter. Town Council Young says is already planning to have a work session during their retreat on August 19th with the Parks and Recreation Commission to discuss potential housing uses of the town park campground. During that retreat, we as council could take it a step further to discuss the other town-owned properties as well. Enabling car camping is another idea, but Young notes there's concern any changes would have to be reversed when the weather changes. The street situation is altered drastically beginning sometimes in November, and we do snow storage on several parking, what are currently parking lanes, and it diminishes the overall parking in town. Other ideas came up during the special meeting, but the ultimate focus was on actions the town could take. During public comment, Kathy Green suggested a Gold Star program that would give special privileges to people who rent long-term who might be too wealthy to be swayed by financial incentives. Billionaires might like it that they get to go to the front of the line at Butcher and the Baker, and they might get tired of seeing me getting a table faster than them at restaurants in my you know, fabric dyeing clothes. Um, so that's an incentive that 
money can't buy unless they put their accessory unit up for a long-term lease and we would all get a little gold card or something issued, issued annually. Amy Levick is the executive director of the local nonprofit Trust for Community Housing. She thinks towns should start looking into temporary housing units. Some that could be brought in, ready to live in, don't need water and sewer and other utilities um, because they're self-contained. It's not a pretty solution. And it's not where we should be thinking about for the future, but I think given the shortage that exists right now, it would behoove us to put some effort into it. Christy urges Levick to engage the town if there are ways it can help with that approach. Here's Christy, followed by Young. Use us how you can to make that happen if need be, knowing that we don't actually have that much space here, but we want to support that. Or at least I do. I can't say I can't say we. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think people on this committee agree. The meeting also highlighted ideas not to try. The council members present, for instance, prefer not to use money from the town's affordable housing fund to subsidize long-term rentals in existing units. Any subsidies they feel should come from new or increased fines and fees. Tuesday's meeting was not the final word on what comes next. Young says town council will make time in future meetings to further discuss the actionable ideas presented to tackle the housing shortage. San Miguel County is in full swing with mine-tailing remediation and removal. Currently, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is conducting a project to remove tailings from U.S. Forest Service land on the valley floor. And now, Lawson Hill is looking to potentially remove tailings from the beach area along the river by the baseball fields. This week, the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners, along with representatives from the EPA and the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, discussed what testing the area for mine tailings could look like. While the tailings haven't been assessed closely, that's the point of the sampling, Ross Davis, Idorado Mine Site Project Manager for the CDPHE, says the tailings are likely fluvial tailings, those stored in more surface areas. Anything that is... um you know what, west of the highway to Ofer there are definitely fluvial tailings. Um, if I speak to their depth, that's, you know, that's just speculation and an estimate. Uh, I did the society turn um, fluvial tailings remediation last year. And, you know, we saw varied depths at that location, um, anywhere from five feet deep Um, to about two feet deep. Joni Sandoval, on-scene coordinator with the EPA, notes because the samples haven't been done yet, any specific discussion on removal or mitigation is speculative. Those decisions are all made site-specifically based on topography, like is the entire area a floodplain? Um, What are the levels? Um, What are the risks? But she notes the EPA would hope to take the least impactful action on the site if the project does go forward. The conversation about the Lawson Hill site comes at the same time there's been contention in the community about the current Valley Floor project. Sandoval says the sites are apples and oranges. I understand there's probably a little bit of tension with stakeholders because they are worried about, you know, if we do an assessment in San Miguel County, Could that impact the town of Telluride if we were to haul trucks through there? But again, it would all be speculation. We don't have, we never intended on making plans to do that. And it would be really premature to to assume that, that that would be a remedy of choice 
But Davis notes, given the location, with trails and paths in the area, mitigating on-site probably doesn't make the most sense. I can't see anybody wanting to create a repository where there is an existing trail. I would imagine that it would make perfect sense to remove that material and transport it to either a local repository on um, Lawson Hill open space land or to remove it and place it in Idorado property. And if toxin levels are high at the Lawson site, Sandoval says the EPA has an obligation to mitigate the area. It's kind of out of your hands at that point, right? Because if we identify a threat to human health and environment, we we have the obligation, if you will, to do something about it or um, make sure that people are aware. Pamela Hall is with the Lawson Hill Property Owners Company. She says the board is in support of the sampling and cleanup. They are in a public corridor. There's children playing in the beach area on a pretty regular basis. And the idea of just fencing that off is, you know, short term, sure, okay, but it's not a good long term solution. It's you know, kind of a pristine area where people are passing on a regular basis. She says just letting the tailings sit doesn't seem appropriate. But moving the tailings once again brings up the reality that they may need to move through Telluride to get to the Idorado site on the east end of town, a fact not lost on County Commissioner Hillary Cooper. I mean, I'll speak to the elephant in the room, and that is that if these tailings do need to be hauled off-site and we know that um, the Idorado Superfund site at the head of the valley through the town of Telluride is the most obvious and appropriate site, um, technically, scientifically, environmentally speaking. But if we trigger this action and the EPA decides, you know, without our any local process that they're going to haul through town, I would, <laughs> I, I think we can safely assume that that might be an issue. Mayor Delaney Young agrees, noting if Lawson moves forward and the EPA decides to haul to the Idorado site, there needs to be clear communication with the community. Many in the community have cited concerns with the process and what they see as a lack of communication when it comes to the current valley floor tailings removal process. I would like all of us to be prepared for increased divisiveness between and within our community, and that is the last thing that any of us need. I, again, appreciate that the property owners want to find out and get to the bottom of what's going on. The communication has to remain 100% open and it needs to happen sooner rather than later because that is not what happened before. While the discussion took place at a county meeting, the decision to sample and remove the tailings is actually a Lawson Hill decision. All the tailings are on private Lawson land. Hall will confirm with a Lawson property owner's company that it wants to move forward with the sampling. The EPA would hope to conduct the study by the end of the year in order to take the mitigation or removal action in 2022. There's more motorized traffic in the Craig Point Big Game Winter area, and that means the area needs new buck and pole fencing and gates to help keep that wildlife area sustainable. According to the Grand Mesa Incompagre and Gunnison National Forests, where the game area sits, wildlife is more vulnerable during the winter due to colder temperatures, snow accumulation, and scarce food resources. The GMUG notes new poles and gates will help to keep the wildlife protected. But the GMUG can't do it on its own. 
the National Forests, in collaboration with backcountry hunters and anglers and National Environmental Education Foundation, is looking for volunteers to help with the project. Volunteers will help drill holes, hammer large spikes, lift heavy metal gate parts and wood poles, pour and mix cement, and install the poles themselves. Those interested in the project can contact Jennifer Heidergott, H-E-I-D-E-R-G-O-T-T, at usda.gov by July 31st. The project will take place either August 13th and 14th or 27th and 28th, based on volunteer sign-up. Colorado has a new tourism director who says he can help the industry bounce back and improve after the coronavirus pandemic. Timothy Wolf managed large upscale hotels in Denver before taking the job at the tourism office, which oversees about $20 million in spending each year. He starts at a precarious time for the industry. Visitation is booming, but resort towns from Steamboat Springs to Crested Butte to Telluride are experiencing worker shortages they blame on a lack of housing. At the same time, some places are pausing tourism marketing because they are getting too many visitors. Wolf thinks he can help find a balance, promising an economic recovery for a, quote, reimagined tourism industry. Meanwhile, the state has also launched a new program subsidizing weddings, conferences, and other large events that fill several hotel rooms. Since the 1990s, hundreds of thousands of people have died in the opioid epidemic. Now communities from across the U.S. are suing major opioid makers and distributors in one of the biggest federal lawsuits of all time. Those communities include the state of Colorado and many counties within it. KSJD's Lucas Brady-Woods looks at what that means for Montezuma County. $26 billion over 18 years. According to an announcement made by a group of state attorneys general, that's how much three of the biggest opioid distributors and one of the drug's biggest makers will have to pay American communities. State and local governments across the country sued the opioid distributors plus opioid producer Johnson & Johnson over their role in the opioid epidemic that has claimed almost 500,000 American lives in the last two decades. Colorado is one of the states involved in that lawsuit. And Colorado's Attorney General Phil Weiser says that means Southwest Colorado, including Montezuma County, will be receiving a portion of the settlement. Southwest Colorado has never had a better opportunity to enable inpatient drug treatment, drug recovery, prevention and education efforts than we have right now because of this money. But he also acknowledged that it's more complicated than throwing money at the opioid crisis. He's been visiting communities across the state in order to better understand their particular needs. His office is also setting up a fund to provide support to rural communities that lack infrastructure to address substance abuse issues. This is a unique opportunity. We need to seize it, which means people need to be aware that we have it. People need to be thoughtful and creative. People need to work together to find the best solutions. Weiser says the only way to effectively utilize the settlement funds is to empower local voices. It's going to be up to that region to decide how to spend that money exactly. And they're going to have to set up a governance board of the right sort of individuals to make decisions. Shaq Powers is one of those individuals. He's the county administrator for Montezuma County. He's supportive of the settlement, but also doesn't think the money that actually reaches the county will be enough to make a difference by itself. The amount of money that we're talking about over the time we're talking about, none of us will be able to make an effective impact on our own. After the settlement money is spread out over the thousands of communities involved and over the course of 18 years, Powers says Montezuma County is only going to end up getting about $20,000 a year. 
On top of that, treatment for opioid abuse disorders is expensive, especially in rural areas like southwest Colorado that don't have enough substance abuse resources to begin with. So Montezuma County is considering joining forces with other local governments in the region. One thing that is being discussed is to have all of the local governments pool their resources with the resources that the region as a whole is getting, which would give us just over $3.1 million. And then maybe collectively we can use that to maybe make more of an impact. But Powers is also concerned those impacts could be damaged if all the communities involved can't get on the same page. Another issue is that there are restrictions on how the settlement funds can be used. According to Attorney General Weiser, they can only be applied to addressing opioid abuse specifically. But in Montezuma County, opioids aren't actually the biggest problem when it comes to substance abuse. Stephanie Allred is the clinical director at Access Health System in Cortez. We have individuals in our community who are struggling with opiate use, um, but it's not the only problem. You know, we still have people using methamphetamines and alcohol always is the top of the list. She also says addressing substance abuse disorders is complex. For example, prevention, treatment, and recovery need to all be considered as important parts of the process. How are we going to combine resources to be able to serve our whole population and and not just get stuck solving one part of, of the problem that our community is facing? But she also says at the end of the day, the settlement money will be a positive force in addressing substance abuse in Montezuma County, especially since local voices are being empowered in the disbursement process. I'm very hopeful about the structure that's being set up, that it really is being driven locally. They're giving that authority and decision making to local groups who have good information about what the gaps are, what the needs are. But before any money can be distributed, a number of pieces have to fall into place, according to Attorney General Weiser. Those include distributing thorough guidelines on how the funds can be used and actually bringing together local government groups to manage the funds. For KSJD News and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Lucas Brady-Woods. If you are currently struggling with opioid use, the Colorado Crisis Services Hotline can be reached at 844-493-8255 or by visiting coloradocrisisservices.org. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly cloudy skies tonight with scattered showers and thunderstorms and a low around 50 degrees. Thursday, expect showers and thunderstorms with a high near 70 degrees. Thursday night, showers and thunderstorms are likely with a low around 50. Friday should see showers and thunderstorms with a high near 70 during the day and a low around 50 degrees at night. There is a flash flood watch in effect on Thursday and Friday. This has been the news for Wednesday, July 28th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Hey, Coda listeners. There are lots of great things about living in the mountains, but easy access to health services isn't always one of them. In a tiny town like this, it can be hard to get the care that you need. Lots of other factors can influence your health too, like the kind of food you eat, your housing situation, or access to transportation. Tri-County Health Network wants to know what your needs are and how we can help. Fill out our survey and let us know what services can help you be the healthiest you can be. Go to tchnetwork.org health survey to fill it out online or find TCH Network staff members at local farmers markets to fill it out in person. 
You'll even get a $5 gift card for completing it. Don't wait to tell us what you need. Fill out the survey today. Hey there, Coto listeners. It's Sarah Holbrook, the executive director of the Pinhead Institute. And I'm thinking about the Olympics. Well, actually, first of all, I want to thank all our patrons who attended our Science of Cocktails party. That was fabulous, wonderful, so happy to see you all. And so grateful to all the amazing mixologists. Now I'm going to go back to what I was thinking about. I'm thinking about the Olympics and that lovely greatest of all time, the GOAT, Simone Biles. And I'm thinking about athletic excellence because, of course, a lot of people who live in Telluride want their kids to grow up to be amazing professional athletes. And we've certainly had a number of them, right? Hint, hint, Gus Kenworthy. Um, But I'm here with David Epstein, who wrote a book called Range that all of you should grab a copy of and read about because he knows a little something about athletic excellence and what, diversifying as, as a younger person? Like we all think here in Telluride that we have to send our kids to hockey camp or ski camp and only do those things. But, but fill us in on the science. That's what I thought too. I used to be the science writer at Sports Illustrated and turned out my intuition was wrong. And so there's actually <laughs> literally brand new research out that looked at 7,000 athletes. Oh, that's a lot. Good sample size. Typical path to becoming an elite athlete was not early specialization. No way. It was early diversification or what scientists call a sampling period where you do a wide variety of activities. You gain these general physical skills. You learn about your interests and abilities and you actually delay specializing until later. And what they found was there's sort of four primary benefits that that confers. It makes people more physically resistant to injury, more psychologically resistant, so less burnout, essentially. It improves what's called match quality, which is if you try a bunch of things and delay selection, it improves the chance that you get a better fit with your interests and abilities. Wow. And, and finally, there's actually a skill-building benefit. So it's almost like, like growing up multilingual. You try this diversity of activities, and you may be slower in the beginning to progress, but it actually gives you a boost for then learning any subsequent skills going forward for the rest of your life. Yeah, that is like language, isn't it? Exactly. Um, I also love numbers. I think we talked about that. Um, tell me what used to be the average height of a female gymnast, elite gymnast, and what it is now. Yeah, about 30, 40 years ago it was five foot three, and now it's now it's four foot nine. So Simone Biles is almost the exact <laughs> average now, and and that's because. It's, it, when you're shorter, you have a lower what's called moment of inertia, which essentially means it's easier for you to twist in the air and you have a higher power to weight ratio. And so as sports have gotten more competitive, there's been this, what, what scientists call artificial selection for body yeah. types that, that fit well into certain sports niches. Oh my goodness. David Epstein, the author of Range. And listeners, please don't forget to attend with your children our punk science coming up next Tuesday, August 3rd with Christina Francois, who I think is going to bring a selection of bugs Yeah, that's right. She's the forensic entomologist. I'm sure you've been reading all of our intern blogs. She hosts an intern or a pinhead intern, so a pintern, um, at the Appleton Rattel Research Ranch each summer to learn forensic entomology. And she's bringing her skills here to tell you right next Tuesday for free at the Transfer Warehouse, 5.15 p.m. Thanks, everybody. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact us at person here at Koto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.